As we continue on and talk today about the wonder of proclamation, uh, our focus is going to be on the shepherds. And we're introduced to their part in the Christmas story in Luke 2, verses 8 through 18. And what's going on around that passage is that Mary and Joseph have already come to Bethlehem as part of the required census from the emperor. She's had the baby Jesus. She's placed him in the feeding trough, the the manger. She's wrapped him tightly in swaddling clothes. And meanwhile, verse 8, in the same region as all of that going on, right outside of Bethlehem, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And right away here, I want to just pause and make sure we're all aware of something about shepherds, shepherds in this time. Uh, They were not the popular group of people. They were not the cool kids at the table. They were viewed unfavorably. They were considered to be untrustworthy. And the word of shepherds meant absolutely nothing in that society. So much so that if there was ever a, a shepherd called on to give public testimony in a legal matter, their testimony would automatically get thrown out. Their word meant nothing. And that's really important to understand and to keep in mind with this account as we go forward. So shepherds were staying out in the fields. They were keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them And they were terrified. Yeah, I'd say. You know, just a whole lot. Just a whole lot terrified. Because picture the circumstance surrounding this verse in your mind. Picture what was going on. It was dark. It was nighttime. They were up in the hills, away from civilization. The only light they would have had would have been any campfire that they had lit themselves. It was quiet. The only sound that they would have heard was maybe the occasional talking amongst themselves, the occasional baa of a sheep. And I'm pretty sure that the baa-baa of sheep gets pretty baa-baa-boring pretty fast. So they're probably dozing off. And the only thing they see is one another and the sheep. And all of a sudden, here's this angel standing right there in front of them, Glorious and bright and powerful with the glory of heaven shining around them, filling up the dark around them. Yeah, I'd be terrified too, wouldn't you? And the angel, being an angel and pretty smart, picked up on the fact that they were terrified and he had done this before and this was typically the reaction of people when angels appear. So he tells them this, verse 10, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I see that you're terrified. I get it. Don't be afraid, though. It's okay. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah. The Lord. 
Now, at this point, I picture the shepherds, we don't know if this happened, of course, but I picture them looking at one another, asking each other, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you actually seeing an angel before you? And when the shepherd next to them said, yeah, I'm seeing it, that shepherd was like, okay, good, good. I'm not losing my mind here. And, and are you hearing what he's saying? Did you hear what he just said, that, that he's bringing us great news of vast joy that's going to be for all the people and that a Savior, the promised Messiah, the prophesied one, has been born for, for us, for me, for you? And if I were the shepherd... I would have looked at that angel and said, do you have the right group of people? Do you mean to be talking to us? I mean, you know we're shepherds, right? Do you know the reputation we have? I mean, we're not the type of people that that other people say, oh, don't forget to tell the shepherds. We're the last to know anything. And we never know anything good that's happening. You, You sure you mean to talk to us? You have the right bunch of people. The angel assured them, yeah, yeah, I I mean to be talking to you. This message is for you because of what happens in the next verse. He doesn't just say, the Messiah's been born, have a great life, see ya. He, He says, the Messiah's been born for you, and I want you to actually go see him. And I want to tell you how you're going to be able to find him. Verse 12, This will be the sign for you. This is the verification of of everything I'm saying being true. This is the validating of my message. Verse 12, this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby. Yeah, a baby. Not a full-grown, conquering hero, warrior come to overthrow Rome like so many people thought and imagined. You'll find a baby. A needy, crying baby. Away in the manger does not have it right. Crying he did make. It would have happened. He was fully man. And in this, at this point, fully baby. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Yes, that's right. I said manger. A feeding trough. Like what you would maybe use for your sheep. And if that weren't enough... Verse 13, suddenly, and the word there suddenly, it, it means out of nowhere. I mean, just as quickly as that first angel appeared, poof, right in the, in the middle of where there was darkness, now there's this light of the angel, and he starts talking to them. Suddenly, in the same way that first angel appeared, there was a multitude of the heavenly host. And church, this was not like a great big choir, you know, like we often see pictured around this time of year, and maybe you think of, you visualize like a, a heavenly choir in choir robes, you know, with flutes and trumpets and things. That's not what this is talking about. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host. This was the angelic army of heaven. And when it says multitude, we don't know exactly how many that's talking about, but we do know that whenever multitude is mentioned in Scripture, it's at least several thousand, possibly into the millions. So what that means is, this was an invading army of heaven lighting up the night sky. There was darkness, now there's thousands, maybe millions of bright 
shining angels coming with the glory of heaven, joining this one angel. And this army wasn't here to announce a conquest or destruction or devastation. Look what this heavenly army was doing. Multitude of the heavenly host with the one angel, and they were doing this, praising God and saying, not singing, but saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Right there, right there in that statement, in that announcement, this little verse that we often breeze right through in all of our reading of the Christmas narrative, right there is the gospel. Right there is grace on powerful display in beautiful splendor. There's glory to God being announced and being given, which is fitting and right, and which He gets every single moment of all eternity. He gets glory because He's worthy. But what doesn't belong is that in the midst of God getting glory, that peace is pronounced over the people on earth. Because these people on earth, just like you and me, have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall or come up short against the glory of God. We don't deserve peace. We deserve judgment. We deserve destruction. And it would have been entirely fitting for this angelic army to come and pronounce that judgment and then to go about executing it. That would have been right. That would have been deserved. What is not deserved is this angelic army saying, we're not here to pronounce judgment. We're not here to bring about destruction. We're here to proclaim peace and to bring about the way to embrace that peace. We're telling you how to go find him because peace has a name and his name is Jesus. That was the proclaiming work of this army at this point. Then verse 15 When the angels had left them, and it doesn't tell us how long they were there talking to these shepherds, I always uh, imagine them to be quickly departing. As soon as they gave that proclamation, it's just poof, in my mind, they're gone, just like they came. Uh, Sudden, sudden coming in and sudden coming out. I just see that as being much more dramatic. But whenever they left, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, after they probably picked themselves up off the ground, you know, after they slapped themselves a little bit, making sure they weren't hallucinating, again, verifying with one another that they actually saw what each other, you know, saw. Did you, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Okay, good. Did you hear everything that I heard? This is what I heard. How about you? Yeah, I heard that too. Okay, we're good. They said this, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And we see here these simple shepherds exercising faith. They, they recognized and agreed that this was indeed a message of God. They believed the word of God and they acted on it. That's what faith is. Faith is receiving what God says, recognizing it as from him, believing it to be from him, and then acting on it. That's always what faith is. And we see that on display here. 
The Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And that's probably a great understatement. Because remember how people viewed the shepherds. Remember the stigma they carried, the reputation they had. Untrustworthy, unvaluable, and whatever they said, really, you shouldn't pay much attention to. So, I mean, after they're, they're seeing what has happened, they heard the announcement, they heard the proclamation, they see it for themselves, they experience it firsthand, they go out and they tell everybody they can find about what just happened. And I'm sure they got a lot of sideways glances, questioning looks, questioning statements. Okay, let me get this straight. God has finally broken the silence that he's had for 500 or so years with us, no prophets, no revelation, silence from heaven, but he's finally, he's just decided tonight to break that silence. That's what you're telling me. Yep. Okay, and he sent not one angel, but a whole lot of angels. Yep. All right, and this heavenly proclamation came to you, shepherds. The shepherds were like, yeah. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? To which the people were, if it had been me, knowing myself, I probably would have been like, okay, good for you. Thanks. I'll go back to my whatever now. But the shepherds, they weren't stopped by that. They wouldn't have cared about the sideways glance and the questioning statement. Nothing was going to stop them from shouting that the Savior came. And He didn't just come for the high and the mighty. He came for the least of these, which they were. That God came to those that people found no value for. And He said to them through the angels, I value you. Come and see. Come and see what I'm doing. Come and see how everything's going to change now. Come and see what I'm doing in your life. And I love that God does this so much of the time. He meets us right where we're at, in the mundane, in the routine, in the ordinary, and He gives us something absolutely extraordinary, and He does a work that we can't deny, and that if we will embrace, will never leave us the same. That's what He did to the shepherds. We have here a proclamation of the good shepherd coming to lowly shepherds. We have the proclamation of the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, coming to shepherds, watching over sheep that were probably used in sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? Only God can do that. It's not coincidence. And as a result of that, these shepherds clearly demonstrate something for us. As we look in on this account and we read about this, the shepherds clearly demonstrate that meeting Jesus personally will produce a passion for proclaiming Him to others. 
meeting Jesus personally will produce a passion for proclaiming him to others. See, the shepherds didn't have to be told to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. That wasn't in the angel's announcement. He didn't say, I'm bringing you great news of of great joy that will be for all people. And today, a Savior, the promised one, the prophesied Messiah is born for you. I want you to go find him. Then make sure you go and tell others. That wasn't part of it. That wasn't in the passage that we read. That wasn't a command. They didn't have to be commanded. They didn't have to be told to go and proclaim all that they had heard, all that they had seen. They couldn't keep from doing it. It was a natural response to all they had heard and seen and experienced personally. And nothing and no one was going to stop them from doing it. They could not keep that to themselves. And church, that's how it's supposed to be for us too. That's how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to be the messengers of the Messiah just as the shepherds were. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, the Apostle Paul there, he describes for us our mandate as Christ's disciples and the passion for that mandate that we should all have. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone, even people as possibly unsavory as shepherds were, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, no matter how vast and deep and dark that old might be, no matter how powerful the past might be that that you carry, when you come to Christ, it's no match for the new work he alone can do. The old has passed away. It's a fact. When you come to Christ, he makes you new and he throws the past away. Behold, the new has come. In verse 18, all this, all that, that amazing, miraculous work of of newness, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So here's God coming to people that should never receive grace and mercy, that should never be given the chance to be reconciled, to be made right with Him, to have restored fellowship with Him. That's all of us. That's our story. So He he gives us the chance to be reconciled to Himself through His Son. Once we accept that, once we receive that amazing gift of reconciliation, which is Christmas... That's the gift of Christmas. Once we receive that, he takes us and he sends us out and he says, go be used by me to bring others to this reconciliation that you have now received. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's grace, grace. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, the result of all that is this. We are ambassadors for Christ. Representatives of the Savior. God making His appeal through us. We implore you, 
See the, the passion, the urgency there? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's the passionate proclamation that should be in every true believer's heart. Passion for knowing what we've received, that we have been reconciled to God. Praise Him, hallelujah. And then that same passion should go out of us to plead with others. Come and see. Come and experience what I've experienced. Come and let God do in you what He's done in me. I want us to go back to the shepherds for a bit, though. Because they can show us a couple more um, very important things to keep in mind. First thing they, they teach us by their example is that you can't proclaim to others what you don't personally know. You can't proclaim to others what you don't personally know. And secondly, you can't have passion for something you haven't personally experienced. You can't have passion for something you haven't personally experienced. I love discovering new things. I love uh, hearing about a great new book that I haven't read before or heard about. I love uh, finding a great new musician or a band and a great new album to listen to. I love uh, hearing about a new movie that's come out and then checking that movie out. I love finding new vacation spots that I haven't been to before. And every time that happens, I annoy people because I can't just keep that to myself and I go on and on about it. I, I tell others about it. I put it all over social media. I tell my church staff about it. I'm like, hey, you've got to watch this new show. Have you seen this on Netflix? Have you seen this movie? Oh, you've got to see this movie. Hey, this new book I'm reading, oh, it'll blow you away. And I go on and on about it. I, I can't keep it to myself. I tell other people about what I've heard about or, or what I've seen or, or learned and that doesn't work. I can't tell others, I can't tell you about something new if I haven't actually found it out, checked it out, if I don't know about it myself. I mean, I can't tell you about something I don't know. And after I find out about one of those things, I'm not going to be able to give that announcement or description to you about that great new thing, whatever it is, with any type of passion any type of contagious passion that's going to make you want to go and check it out for yourself if I haven't experienced it. In other words, I can know about a new book that's out. I can know the information about it. I can know all about a new movie. I can know there's a new restaurant in town. But unless I read that book, see that movie, and go and actually eat at that restaurant, if I go and tell you about it, it will lack the passion that's going to make you want to check it out. The same exact thing is true when it comes to the gospel and Jesus. You've got to know him to talk about him. And you've got to experience him to be passionate about him. And I really think there are a lot of people that know about Jesus rather than really knowing him personally. And they know that he is the Savior of the world, factually, intellectually, 
but they haven't personally experienced new life in him. And church, I think this is the sad reality for many in our churches every single week. Maybe that's true of you here today. Maybe maybe one of you, two, three, four of you, I don't know, maybe a lot of you, you know about Jesus. You've gone to church off and on all through your life, or at least several years. You know certain Bible verses. You can even quote them. You know some of the songs that we sing. But you've never come to a place in your life where you say, Jesus, I don't want you just to be the Savior of the world. I want you to be my Savior personally. Maybe you've never come to the place in your life where you said, Jesus, I want you to invade my life, and I want you to run it. I want you to direct my life. If that's true of you, you've come in today, and up to this point you've known about him but not known him, the good news for you is you're here. You're here today, right now. And that's not an accident. And right now, I mean, this moment, you can change that and you can go from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus personally. You can go from knowing that he is the Savior of the world, kind of this out there thing, to knowing and experiencing personally the new life that he can bring to you. You can do that right now, right where you're at. That's the really good news. Or maybe you do truly know Jesus personally as your Savior. You do know Him and you have experienced new life in Him. But if you're honest, you're here today and you would have to say that you find it hard to have passion for proclaiming Him to others. And the reason for that is that the truth is along the way, You've lost a lot of the passion that you once had for him and your relationship for him. And if that's true of you, you're not alone. That can happen to the best of us, and it does. I dare say there's not a single believer alive that hasn't at some point in their walk with Christ, in their relationship with him, gone through a stale period. Gone through a cold spell gone through a time in their life where the passion that they once had and the fire that lit their soul has just gone out to a, to a very small flicker, kind of a smoldering candle. And there's a variety of reasons why that happens. There, it, there's many different factors that weigh in for that. Maybe, maybe it's because you've gotten distracted along the way. You've allowed other things to come in to your mind, to occupy space. You've allowed things to come into your heart And along the way, they built up and they added up and they kind of just crowded out the passion that you should have had and did once have for Jesus. Maybe it's distraction. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? With life, just, I mean, just life. 
Life is crazy. Life is busy. Life is hectic. And then you have Christmas, which is an incredible irony every single year that the time when we're supposed to focus the most on the reason for the hope that we say we have as Christians, the time we're supposed to stop and and actually meditate on the message of the Messiah, it gets drowned out with all the pageantry and all the busyness and bustle of the season. Man, the enemy is pretty smart, isn't he? So maybe it's distraction. Maybe, maybe the reason you've lost some of that passion for Jesus personally, and then as a result, the loss of passion for proclaiming him to others is because something happened in your life, in your circumstances, that was heavy and hard and it hurt, and you just haven't quite recovered from that. Maybe you've lost a loved one. And it wrecked your world. Maybe, maybe you've lost financial stability in the form of a job, either a, a drastic reduction in your salary that you banked on, literally, or you lost the job itself and now you have no idea what you're going to do and despair and depression has set in. Maybe it's that you've despite all the work and training and instruction of your children that you did, mom and dad, bringing them up in the admonition and instruction of the Lord as you're told to in Ephesians, despite all that, they have rejected your teaching, they've rejected your instruction, they've rejected your advice, and they're out there on their own doing whatever they want, however they want to do it, whenever. They're far from you. More devastating than that, they're far from God. And it's hard for you to have that same passion because you just don't understand why. And you don't think you went wrong, so the question is, what went wrong? And there's so many other reasons. I I don't know exactly what may have been robbing you of your passion for Jesus and proclaiming him to others. But maybe that's it. Maybe that's part of the reason you've lost it. The remedy... For all of that, whether it's something I identified or not, the really good news is that there is a remedy for the loss of passion in your relationship with Christ and a loss of passion for proclaiming Him to others. The remedy for all that is to preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Why? Why is that such a powerful remedy? Why is it so important to preach the gospel to yourself, believer, follower of Christ, every single day? Why is that so important? Preaching the gospel to ourselves is important because it reminds us of the need we had for Jesus originally, and the need we have for Jesus continually. Preaching the gospel to yourself reminds you of the need you had for Jesus when you came to him at the first time, when you, when you realized, yes, I am a sinner in need of grace. Yes, I am 
outside of any relationship with God and I have no hope in myself of coming to Him, of making myself right with Him. I have no ability to make myself good enough for Him. I have no hope in myself or in anything I amass for myself. I can't look to anyone else to give me what I'm needing and longing for. I know now it is in Jesus And I come to him and I'm committing my life to him. You, at one point in your life, if you were a believer in Christ, you came to that point where you, in desperation, said, Jesus, save me. But it's not just about a need you had for Jesus. It's about remembering that you continually, constantly have a need for Jesus. It reminds us how desperate we were for him to save us from the power of sin and the judgment of the Father. That's what preaching the gospel does. And it reminds us of the fact that every single day we need Christ's power to cause change inside us to love people through us, and to intercede with the Father for us. That's what preaching the gospel reminds us of. We need His power to cause change, sanctification inside of us, to make us holy, to make us more like Him and less like us. We need His power to love people through us because, let's face it, people are hard to love. And we know that because we are people, right? Just as you find people hard to love, guess what? Other people find you hard to love too. Right? If you don't believe me, just ask your spouse when you get home. We need the power of Christ to love people through us the way we're supposed to. On every level, at every aspect of our relationships with people. And oh church, how desperately we need the power of Christ's intercession at the Father's right hand, pleading our cause, answering every accusation of a powerful enemy. We need a power greater than ourselves and greater than that enemy when he brings accusation of us before the throne of God, which he does day and night. And the good news is we have a faithful high priest Jesus, who is right there at the side of the Father, answering every accusation and saying, no, I don't think so. My blood covers that person. My blood covers every accusation. They're mine forever. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Oh, we don't just have a need for the Savior when we become a Christian, when we first come to salvation. No, we have the need of the Savior every moment with every breath until He calls us home, and then we'll spend all of eternity still needing Him and praising Him. Church, a big part of the wonder of Christmas is that the life-giving message of the Messiah was given to us. Us, people lowly and weak and feeble and untrustworthy and unsavorable, just like the shepherds. Another part of that wonder 
is not just that we've been given that life-giving message, but that we've been given the privilege to proclaim that same message to others on our Savior's behalf. Don't, don't lose sight of that wonder that you've been given the message yourself and that you've been given the privilege of proclaiming it to others just like the shepherds were given that privilege and just as they recognized the awesome privilege that was and couldn't help from proclaiming it, they couldn't keep from it. The wonder filled them in such a way that they had to proclaim it. May it be so with us. May He, may the Lord Jesus be our primary passion And may proclaiming him be a close second. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of the proclamation of the Messiah, the promised one, the one that is hope, the one that is life, the one that is joy, the one that is salvation. All of that, it's not a concept. It's not fact. It's a person. It's the divine person of your eternal son come to earth to save us, to bring us back to you, to tear down the wall of hostility and separation. What a wonderful, matchless message. Thank you for proclaiming it to the shepherds, people that others had cast aside and forgotten and discarded and did not value and you came to them and you used them to be the very first messengers of the Messiah but you didn't stop there it wasn't limited to them all throughout the rest of history you've used men and women and children that other people would look at and say nothing good could ever come from them and you've used them to be the messengers of the Messiah to other people. And Father, that's what you want to do with us and that's what you've given us the privilege. Those of us who know you through your Son, you've given us the privilege of proclaiming that same message. Oh, Father, may we have passion, genuine passion, lasting passion for the Savior that we know. And if we've lost that today, Father, restore that. Rekindle that flame in them. Rekindle that fire. Don't let it be superficial or emotional. Let it be genuine and lasting in them. And then use that same fire, that same passion to help them to go out and proclaim the Savior they know to others who do not know Him yet. Fill us with passion, Father. Personally, in our relationship with You through Your Son, Jesus, and then to proclaim Jesus to others, I pray. Work in us. Capture us again by the wonder of Christmas and help us to make that wonder known. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.